Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. When are we going to land? I don't know. I never know. Why not? I have no control over where I land. Neither can I... Hold to open. Hold to open. Yes, and what do you do? I think they're somewhat suspicious of us. Yeah, I wonder why. Well, I wouldn't worry too much about that, my dear, because I don't think we're going to be here long enough to find that out. You oh. wait and see, Thorbound. And where are you taking me? Huh? <laughs> here comes the drums! Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who, the entire television serial in random order. I'm Pete Paschal. And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are a couple of Doctor Who fans, journalists, guys who love to talk about the show and have been on this quest from some years now with our trusty built-in randomizer. And our randomizer's taken us to some uh, interesting choices recently. Uh, one, one might almost think that the randomizer is trying to throw us off the quest uh, with, with some of its choices, including our latest one. Um, so, Pete, you want to give us a recap of where we have been up until this point? I'd love to give a recap of all these interesting episodes and by interesting, well, I'll ask chat GPT at some point to find some different adjectives, but you could probably figure them out yourself. Anyway, previously on pull to open three episodes ago, we were at the fourth doctor adventure with the Daleks. No, not Genesis of the Daleks. It was destiny of the Daleks. Yep. The one with That's some Novellans and a guy with an orange rope. And well, Davros with some cobwebs on his face that disappear after a very short period of time. From there, we jump back in our TARDIS and it took us to the new series, a very recent episode by the name of Orphan 55, yes. which had some lessons, lessons learned <laughs> for the audience, for the podcast, for everyone exposed to anything that touches Orphan 55. We've learned, learned many things about what Doctor Who is and what it should not be. Yes, we definitely got a Professor Hater rating for, for that episode. Uh, that's one of our uh, ratings in the rating system for Pull to Open. Um, yes, and yeah. I'd be surprised if we get any other, uh, a, a lot of uh, dispute over that. So, yeah. So we, we decided to... some relief after that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we decided to abandon that orphan uh, and try for something different. And we got something different. And rewinding back mm. to the Peter Capaldi era for the memorable episode kill the moon in which I'm, case i'm, I'm just it, realizing it, it, it's very notable for killing the moon <laughs> that creature 
that is uh, revealed right. that to be inside the moon at the end of Kill the Moon is an orphan. Oh, uh, that's yeah. true. The doctor, I, I there's I the didn't there's catch the connection during, during the podcast. I didn't catch this, but the doctor does explicitly say that this creature is the only one of its kind in the universe, which I don't know how he oh, knew wow. that. But he says that, so it is an orphan, and that's a part of the reason why it's bad to kill it, I guess. You, you know, the doctor just magically knows things sometimes, and you just got to go with it. <laughs> or not, because <laughs> we decided to leave it and yes. jump jump in again, get a, activate a randomizer, and we have been brought all the way back to Season 4, Serial 1, The Smugglers. That's right, the smugglers, which has been mentioned before in the show. I don't know if you remember, Pete, but I accidentally at one point when we were talking about uh, the gunfighters and the Celestial Toymaker, Celestial Toymaker goes into the uh, savages, and I mistakenly right. said smugglers. I wonder if the randomizer is punishing me for that slip of the tongue, um, or if there's something <laughs> else going on here. Uh, but yes, we're here at the smugglers, our first completely missing story yeah it's incredibly missing there is virtually nothing surviving in terms of footage from this particular story uh strangely enough it is one of the two stories that is going to be animated later this year i'm told so for a while there it looked like there weren't going to be any more animations animated reconstructions of missing episodes and apparently they secured some funding who, you know, the people that generally do these animations. So they decided to uh, animate two of the missing episodes that are still don't have versions of them. And one is the underwater menace from the second doctor era. And this one, <laughs> the smugglers, yes. um, Curious which choice. is, you know, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a choice. And uh, I can see why, like it's the first Story of season four, uh, a very notable season, obviously, for, you know, regenerating the doctor into Patrick Troughton uh, has the Daleks and, you know, Ben and Polly. So um, there's there's stuff here. <laughs> it's also it's one of the last. It's not the last, but it's one of the last pure historical episodes. That's right. So it's that. sort of it gets overlooked a lot by by mm. Doctor Who fans for a number of reasons. It's not it's it's the penultimate Hartnell, so it's not like the last Hartnell. We all think of the Tenth Planet, where we've been on this adventure already. Uh, it's not really the first Ben and Polly adventure because they appear in the War Machines. So it's not really the last historical because we have the Highlanders next. So it's like a lot of sort of penultimate things, but not quite. Yeah. The last and 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 uh, of course a lot of people have not not bothered to sit through the tally snaps or read the Terence Dix uh, adaptation that came out in 1988. Uh, you know when they sort of run out of other stories to novelize. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you might say that it is the most forgotten Doctor Who story ever. Yeah, that's definitely arguable. I would definitely say I, I'm. It was not forgotten by some people making the new series, which we'll get to later. So uh, it has some interesting connections that beyond just the, what it follows, which is the war machines and what it goes into the 10th planet. Um, so, you know, smugglers is surprisingly influential for reasons, both on screen and off. We'll get to all of it. But before we get to that, guys, I want to just note for everyone listening, 
if you want to cut to our commentary on the smugglers, uh, you can go check the show notes right now. There will be a prominent uh, note on the exact time we're going to start with our TLDW and in the commentary. If you want to skip over the what we like to call the pull to open feedback loop, where we like to keep the conversation going with our fans. We like to talk to you guys on social media. We like to highlight some of that conversation here. And we also really, really love it when you guys review the show. So as everyone knows, podcasts really thrive on reviews. The more reviews we get in the Apple Podcast app in particular, the more visible the show will be to other people who are interested in cool commentary on Doctor Who. Uh, So please, if you haven't already, go to the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you're in and rate or review the show. It really does help and uh, help us connect with you guys and have more fans connect with each other. It's really, really a great thing to do. And when you do leave a review, we also sometimes like to read those out on the podcast, particularly if you leave our signature uh, element now, which is the Mm -hmm. emoji title in the form of a review. Basically, if you take a Doctor Who title, a story title, and put it in emojis, we love that. So leave that anywhere. But reviews in particular is a good place to do it. Uh, and we've got some this week. So we have a great fan by the name of Rowan uh, with the handle X underscore Cinematech. Nice, nice handle. Uh, and Rowan has left us a couple of emoji titles. So... This is inspires, of course, probably our favorite game show like segment, <laughs> which is uh, guess the title. And as ever, Chris is our contestant, our only contestant. Oh, man. We got to yeah. get some more guests on here so we can spread around the pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, please save me from the emoji titles. No, I love it. I love, I love it, especially yeah. when you can stump me, which is not that hard. So Rowan actually left a number of them. So to pace them out, we're only going to do two this week. So uh, these ones are good. I it took uh, the second one took me a, a couple minutes, but I think I think you, you know I've got some confidence in you this time, Chris. I think you're going to get you're going to oh, get boys. this. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. First, <laughs> as <laughs> I'll ever be. for a second there, you were deciding. <laughs> All right. First, uh, can I say no? First yeah. emoji title has four emojis. Okay. First emoji, doctor, male doctor. Yes. Okay. Second emoji, question mark. Okay. I think that part's easy. <laughs> Third emoji, television screen. Mm-hmm. Fourth emoji, uh, film reel projector. Uh, well, that's okay. So it's obviously Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> think you got that? In an exciting adventure with the Daleks. No, uh, Doctor Who TV movie. It's got to be. It's gotta be. <laughs> yes. There it is. Doctor Who, the TV movie. The TV movie. The, the nice. Beatles White Album of Doctor Who. Uh, at least in I like terms. that they, and I think that is the official title, um, as yes. far or the movie. Uh, as opposed to sometimes people call it the enemy within, which is just kind of uh, <laughs> like it's, it's a kind of a Doctor Who ish title, but it's a very, uh, it's I, a very I, classic I, series title. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure, so I'm absolutely sure that isn't the name of a Hartnell episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's steel. It's actually a, a, 
an episode title of Star Trek, the original series. That's mm. also another reason mm. not to like it. So uh, Doctor Who, the TV movie, I think it's clear. Everyone knows what you're talking about. Boom. All right. Easy one. Speaking. Thank you. Thanks for warming okay. me up. <laughs> All right. Second one. You ready, sir? Uh, as I'll ever be. Two emojis. First emoji, explosion. Okay. Second emoji, a uh, bunch of houses all together in a road. So kind of oh like a God. <laughs> dwelling, hamlet, village. Um, the explosion of the the explosion of the city. The I don't know. This is making me. This is giving me flux vibes of with with Dan's house uh, hmm. being destroyed. I wonder if that's got anything to do with it. Uh, but it's probably not referencing the content of a story. It's probably referencing the title, uh, the, the, mm. the dead city, the exploding city, the, oh God, uh, the village of the damned. Um, oh, village of the angels. Oh, can I give you a, can I give oh. you a hint? Yes, please. What is the noise an explosion makes? <laughs> if, if you would see it like, sorry, what was that? Boom. <laughs> mm? The, the, mm? The boom. Boom. Boom town. Oh, 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 oh. Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. You got it. Uh, oh, you got I'm it. I'm so lucky that I have made the point in several podcasts past that, that the doctor actually likes it when things go boom. Um, <laughs> That's true. That is, is definitely Especially a the first doctor. I, I, yes. Guys. <laughs> We'll oh, this is super fun. We'll pace out the other emoji titles in future episodes. You too can have your emoji titles, of course, read out on the podcast. Simply leave a review in the Apple Podcast app or drop us a line on social media. Pull to open 63 on Twitter and Instagram or pull to open all one word on TikTok. Hey, another great place you can interact with the show is, of course, Spotify. Spotify listeners. You can rate the show on your mobile app. So fire it up on your phone. Go ahead and give us a star rating. We're not telling you what to rate, but you know, for some reason, I'm seeing five lights in front of me. You know, just like mm. Picard in that one episode of Star Trek. They're off. Uh, but lights. Exactly. <laughs> stars. Yes. Um, so That's every week, perfect. as everyone knows, Chris and I give a rating to the story that we talk about, and you too can also give a rating. Just by listening on Spotify, go to the episode page in your app. Tell us if you thought it was a Dalek, an Ogron, Viscount Banger. Uh, we'll explain all of those at the end of the show. And stay tuned to the end of the podcast uh, for a full explanation of those ratings. So, um, But right now, we have the results from Orphan 55. And I am somewhat reassured to hear that most folks... <laughs> Uh, we're in agreement with us with a whopping majority, 67% of the listening public did not enjoy, basically called it an Ogron. Yep. So there it is. That was the 25%. Yeah. 25% on the Professor Hater. And actually, a, a few people called it a fixed point in time, though. I guess there was enough people who seemed to enjoy what was going on or... Uh, probably feel bad about enjoying it, I guess. You know, a fixed point in time, of course, is the rating that we give for something that is kind of beyond a rating, right? Yeah. 
uh, we introduced meaningful it to you for some reason. Ago for for uh, Destiny of the Daleks specifically because I could not could not give it a rating. It was so uh, foundational to my my fandom. The first full story I remember watching in uh, 1979 there and. Well, I, I guess yeah. I guess there are there are younger fans who may have uh, grown up on uh, on Jody's series and or just come to it uh, in recent years, and and this just may be something special for them, or maybe it's the climate change aspect of Orphan Fifty Five. Like, I can see how it might be hard to denigrate it if you uh, really believe, as as we all do, you know that that climate change is a serious problem, must be tackled in fiction somehow. Uh, maybe you're prepared to overlook the after-school special aspects uh, of Orphan 55. At least you know, the point you know what I think it is? Yep. I think it's not younger viewers, it's older ones, and they really, really like the Graham Speedos joke. <laughs> yeah, everyone's identified. Totally get it. Or maybe, you know, if you've ever had a vending machine virus, you're know, like, I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't, there's a bad rating, it just brings up too many... Too many it's, memories. It's too close to home. Totally. <laughs> oh, guys, good times. Keep leaving those ratings on Spotify. Let us know what you think of the episodes we're talking about. And we're happy to talk about it on the show. All right, guys. Also, follow us on YouTube. Even if you subscribe to us on a podcast app, it would really help if you also check us out on YouTube. YouTube.com slash bolt open. It's actually a great place. Yet another great place to leave an emoji title or a comment. There's actually lots of good comments on our activity on YouTube, uh, giving giving YouTube a good reputation, the Pull to Open channel is. And That's you get right. to see all these fun Easter eggs in the background. You get to see us, guys. Look at all my posters and fun things that I have around. It's good times. Um, I, I guess so all please the Cybermen stuff you've got going on there, Peter, is, is a reference <laughs> to the 10th planet. It's as close as you can get. There to you smartphones. go. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good. Getting nice. getting very close to the 10th planet here. Yeah, totally. So uh, check us out there. Also follow us on TikTok. Like I said, we're at Pull to Open. We're very active there. We're trying to post short videos almost every day. Uh, lots of great conversation there, too. Good place to hit us up. Okay. Well, this episode ain't going to comment on itself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, let's get to it. I'm excited to get to the smugglers because then yeah. I'll be excited to get past doing the smugglers. But there's things to say about this episode. And before we say those things, we need to summarize the episode, though, in record time. That's right. uh, with a little Every segment week. we like to call TLDW. Too long didn't watch. Too long. Doctor Who, where one of us will quickly get through the plot of the episode in question. Uh, this, and this, this is really time, the first long, the first too long can't watch that we've that we've ever done because <laughs> you know at least you could watch the animations, you could watch the Tony snaps. Is right. that really watching? Uh, it's not really like there are a few moments that have been preserved because they were too violent for the Australians. Um, we'll, we'll get yeah. to that. <laughs> but yeah, well, we I'm stalling. I'm stalling for time. But You're stalling, you like I can me, tell. If you, like me, one week ago, knew absolutely nothing about the smugglers, like I assumed that they were future smugglers. One thing. I didn't even know it was a historical. So you may be mm. wondering, what the hell is the smugglers? How does it lead into the 10th planet? How does it connect on from the war games? You know, uh, from, uh, sorry, war machines. Like, you know, two fairly well-known stories. You may not know what falls in between. I'm here to catch you up. 
in two minutes, <laughs> right, Pete? Because this is we allot 30 seconds per classic serial episode. And this You're exactly four. right, sir. We allot that, and we are allotting it to you yes. this week to summarize the smugglers for everyone listening. Yep, too long. Don't bother. No, wait. <laughs> so, could I, oh, this is this is the time. We've got to we've got to do it though. We've got to do it. We, right. we we're doing every episode. We're doing this one now. All right. Okay. All right. So, are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Tabs closed. Feeling pretty confident about this one, which is probably going to be my downfall. But let's see. All right. Here we go. It's time for the official pull to open summary of the smugglers in three. Two, one, go. London, 1966. Uh, ben and Polly have just walked into the TARDIS uh, to give the Doctor his key back, but he's already taken them away to Cornwall in the 17th century. And uh, they don't believe that they're there, but the, they, the Doctor points it out. Uh, they, they end up talking to a church warden who gives the Doctor a secret code uh, for he knows not what, um, and then sends them off to the inn. The church warden then gets stabbed by a ruffian named Cherub. And, uh, and then at the inn, um, Ben and Polly get arrested for the murder while the doctor gets kidnapped uh, by pirates and taken to the ship of a guy called Captain Pike, who is a pirate with a pike on his hand. Uh, and uh, Ben and Polly get out of prison by um, by uh, playing on the superstition of a guy named Tom, who's keeping them prisoner. And they have a voodoo doll uh, with Tom's hair in it. So, so uh, they escape that way. The doctor... Uh, plays on the, uh, the gentleman-like uh, desire of Captain Pike to appear like a gentleman uh, and then uh, uses a tarot card trick to escape along with, uh, I believe, the innkeeper. Uh, and uh, meanwhile, the, the ruffians, they're, they're searching for the treasure, uh, uh, Captain Pike, and he sends a, he goes a, a ashore and talks to the squire, and the squire uh, basically says that Ben and Polly are, are, are murderers. And... Uh, but he's sort of in cahoots with the smugglers, and it all leads to this uh, attempt to Minute try 30. to get uh, Captain Avery's treasure, an old pirate's treasure that they used to work for. Um, but uh, everyone converges on on the, the crypt, the church crypt at the end, and uh, the Doctor and Ben and Polly manage to escape uh, after, after the pirates have been killed, I think, and then they make it back to the TARDIS, and, uh, and uh, they end up in what the doctor says is the coldest place in the world, but we don't know what it is until the next story. And, and time. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go back go on. to the Cornish village there. <laughs> so, meanwhile, you know, everyone, uh, like, uh, I didn't even mention the the revenue guy. That- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's kind of the one sort of plot thread you you uh, missed. But I've got to say, very ably done. I, I thank you. think I would have... Uh, got frustrated and just threw it. So stuff happened and there's a church and people die, etc. Because uh, that's that's kind of what it felt like. There's like a lot of stuff going on uh, that you sort of, after a certain point, you question the relevance of and why you're even invested in it, right? Like mm. there's this is basically a Doctor Who pirate story that just is really, really low stakes. And Super low stakes. You, you kind of... <sighs> You, you just ends up being kind of a chore. I'll be honest with you. I, this is kind of a chore to get through this week. Well, and I split let's... it off over three three days, and it was uh, it felt like it felt like three months. It was it was a tough one. 
So let's talk. Let's get a bit meta about how how we consumed the story, right? Mm. Because with yeah. a fully missing episode, you have I, be, I believe that all the missing episodes we we have audio, right? And we have telly snaps, um, right? Thanks to people recording on tape recorders mm. the broadcast. Um, we every all the audio is preserved in some form. Yes. So that's basically what this was reconstructed from. Uh, what what thank what you. has been, like not that a lot you. has been. Thank you to yeah. Doctor Who nerds of the sixties who were such nerds that they recorded from the TV with like little reel to reel tape recorders and uh, literally took photos of the screen, uh, which was right. not as easy to do when you're just you know if you're just in front of your screen with a smartphone. Like you know, this is actually like you had to get the film developed. It's like. Right. Wow. Well, there that were there were tele what's thing. called telesnaps as well, right? So basically, there was someone on set who I, I believe the intent was they would take photos of the production and then sell those photos back to the actors. Uh, yeah. To my knowledge, I think that's what basically what the idea was, so that they would have something for their portfolio, something to um, you know show that they th- this work they did. Uh, because obviously, you know, nothing was ever broadcast again. Certainly nothing. Nobody had any footage, let alone anything portable you could have these days. So it was a uh, it was sort of this service from behind the scenes that now is like, oh, wow, this is like the base in many stories like this one. One of the only things that exists. Uh, and I think you said in the pre-show, the only other bits that exist are a few of the much more violent moments where people are getting stabbed, mostly and there's blood, and oh, that's mostly because down in Australia, yeah, mm-hmm. gets, right, you get stabbed, stabbed right in the back, and mm. and, and it's because in um, in Australia they decided to excise those bits, and they kept the bits, <laughs> but not the episode. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, uh, it really but yeah, is. it's funny it's to watch. Cinema Paradiso moment. I don't know if you've seen Cinema Paradiso. There's a wonderful bit at the end where all of the kisses the on-screen kisses from romantic movies that have been excised are found and strung together. Uh, and that's a beautiful moment. And I sort of feel like that's that's sort of what we need with the smugglers, right? It's just we, we need to just have a short video with all of the, the stabby bits uh, thrown together. There is also <laughs> someone did take some video of, um, of the actual filming of the smugglers, which took yes. place... Much more on location than I believe that any any Doctor Who up until this point, uh, because it was all actually right, filmed yeah. in Cornwall. Yeah, I think there was still some studio stuff with the crypt and whatever, but they um, they definitely did the location stuff in Cornwall. I think most of the location shooting up until this point was London. So they didn't, it's not like they never went outside the studio. I mean, obviously they did a lot with the Daleks Master Plan, or sorry, no, Dalek Invasion of Earth. In other episodes, right. but it was all in and around London. And this was the yeah. first time they kind of went a little further out. So Cornwall, for those that don't know, is in southwestern England. It's kind of like the southwestern Correct. tip uh, of the it island, is the I believe. It's the tippy toe of, of uh, south, southern England. And uh, the director, Julia Smith, only the second female director in the history of Doctor hmm. Who, uh, was very familiar with that part of Cornwall. And that's why she was chosen to helm this episode. So she knew the beaches around Penzance, which is where this was filmed. Is it literally the Pirates of Penzance? Oh, nice. Um, so the the how we watch this. So what I did, uh, I did two things. So I got the audio itself, 
and listen to that one time to sort of get my imagination going. Um, and then I actually watched, I sat, uh, sat down with my daughter to watch the, essentially what's called, uh, I guess the telesnap recreation it's, it's on daily motion. And I think it's got, the guys are called loose cannon. Um, right. And yeah, loose it's done a lot of, uh, reconstructions. Yeah. And they, they did a really good job actually, like in terms of like cutting from telesnap to telesnap and you kind of, you know, timing it with the dialogue and, and also having some descriptive text come in on the bottom. So I think honestly thought the descriptive text was even more helpful than the audio version, which has uh, Annika Wills who plays Polly uh, years later, did some bridging narration within the audio. Uh, but there's actually even curious, more if, of if it. Listeners would like, if listeners would like the audio, how, how did you find it? Where did you get it? Oh, sorry. Audible. Yeah, Audible has it all. Audible, okay. So I got, I used an Audible credit to uh, buy the uh, the smuggler. So whenever you want to, s- to basically listen to a Doctor Who missing episode, uh, Audible's a good place to go for it. Mm-hmm. And they were all at CD too. They were actually put out mm-hmm. by the BBC um, library at one point, but they those are hard to come by. I think those are only on uh, eBay. I don't know if you can actually buy those anymore. Right, right. Audible might be your best bet. So by contrast, here's what I chose to do. Um, I did download the Turnstick's novelization, um, but also I discovered, I did not know this, that you can get a transcript of pretty much every Doctor Who story uh, online. I found a, mm-hmm. a, a transcribing service, Ch- chacotea.net appears to have... Uh, all of these transcripts. So that's basically oh, yeah. what I did. I, I so that that I, that site is instrumental. Uh, I've been yeah. using that for a while. I should I should have let you know about it because <laughs> whenever I miss a bit of dialogue, I make a mm-hmm. note and I, I go back to it with those transcripts. And it, oh yeah, that's what they said. And that is, I mean, this may be one reason for the randomizer to bring us here. We'll we'll get to other reasons, but it, it I feel I felt I had such a good experience reading the transcript that now I'm going to do this every with every single one, uh, every single story that we go to on Pull to Open. I'm going to read the transcript first, uh, even if it isn't <laughs> missing, uh, to, to sort of get that stuff. Like I don't, so I don't have to focus too much on the subtitles. I'm not going to miss a lot of things. I feel like reading the script, which is essentially what you're doing with the transcript, is not only a way to sort of reconstruct how a Doctor Who story is made, and what the scriptwriter was going for, um, but yeah, definitely a way to sort of prepare yourself before all of the visuals kind of hit you, um, and you can kind of focus a little bit more. So yeah, thank you, thank you, Randomizer, for for sort of necessitating this, uh, this service. <laughs> uh, necessity is the mother of invention, and um, I I th- I actually really liked it. I mean, it's you know, it's really. Well, okay, not <laughs> compared to most Doctor Who stories, no. But compared to what I thought I was going to have to experience with the smugglers, um, like I, I could, I could hear like the you know the bad pirate voices in my head. Vasi scurvy sea dog, and it was it was sawbones, like, it sawbones, surprisingly atmospheric, and be- I believe perhaps the only time the Doctor is described as sawbones. Uh, mm. in in the show, I can't remember another episode where this happens. 
Uh, but y- you would think it would happen all the time, right? Sawbones was such a common word uh, throughout a lot of the periods of history that the Doctor visits that you'd think that he might uh, get that appellation before this or after this. But uh, but no, it's great. So I, I love that. I love little like I, I found well, it pretty funny. Like I, a lot of the things I thought I would have uh, found tedious if I just watched the telesnaps, I enjoyed in the transcript. So I would think the reason they probably haven't done the Sawbones thing again is probably because of the experience on this episode. <laughs> and it's gonna, <laughs> if it's going to make you think of the smugglers, I'm not sure yeah. if it's such a great thing. But um, yeah, I'm I, I can't I can't mirror your enthusiasm on this. I just honestly, like I say, this was very much a chore to get through. I think all the pirate stuff it's kind of funny. Like you could point to almost any of the pirate episodes of Dr. Who and say like, this is probably why they never did pirates again. Um, although they've done it like three or four times. So I guess I thought, you know, when I was thinking about my commentary, it's like, Oh, obviously they didn't do it until curse of the black spot in the new series. Although arguably they kind of did, right. Cause they did the, pirate the space planets. pirates. Yeah. Well, the pirate planet, well, that is pirate in the title, but I don't know. There's, there's a little bit of, yeah, I guess there's like the robot, bird and all that other stuff so mm. there's a little bit of pirate stuff here and there throughout um but you know this is like honestly probably the most stereotypical most by the numbers pirate mm. stuff and it just doesn't really feel fun it feels like they're kind of almost taking it really seriously even with these caricatures and you know you got the captain his name's pike he's got a pike for a hand uh and <laughs> there is a joke cha- about uh, captain hook which is <laughs> what was what was captain hook's name before he lost his hand to the crocodile uh i, I think a number <laughs> of comedians have sort of brought that up in peter, uh, regarding peter pan and you have the same question here right like what was captain pike's name before he had a pike that he reveals at the uh, the cliffhanger at the end of episode one. Yeah, we, we don't even we don't get to hear that. He doesn't even get um, to kill anyone with it until that all that stuff with Jamaica later. And again, like his people, yeah. like they're named literally Spaniard, Jamaica, yes. and mm-hmm. Gaptooth. You know, it's kind of like okay, I guess you know they're pirates and they're simpletons and they're making these simple nicknames. And I guess that's the, sort of the idea, but it's. Hmm. I, I mean, it's all just really on the nose. I mean, the eye patch, they're going for yeah. buried treasure. They're drinking to excess and that works against them at the end. It's like, oh, come on. Like you're, uh, what's interesting here, or at least what's fun here. Like there's, you feel like if they're going to, if you're going to go lean this far into pirate stereotypes, they should be having more fun with it. And, mm. you know, again, it, it was years later, obviously, in a different era and a different place. But if you look at like Pirates of the Caribbean, right, where they, you know, obviously they have all the stereotypes there, too. But there's some irony. They turn some of them on their head. And then you have like this amazing, obviously, performance from uh, uh, in the lead role that uh, just takes it all to another level. And this is kind of like, let's take the same formula and not even try. <laughs> Well, I, I actually kind of like that. There, there is a certain innocence to the smugglers, and there's a certain innocence of the portrayal of pirates. And yeah, we, you know, we should say that the the actor who played Jamaica is the first uh, black actor in in Doctor Who to have a significant speaking role. Uh, it's unfortunate that he dies. It's unfortunate uh, that he is kind of uh, berated by the captain in almost racist terms. Uh, it yeah, is good it's unfortunate. that his name. His name was changed from Crow, it, which would have been worse. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I can sort of see that, that in, in pirate times, you would just kind of name your crew, like whatever. Oh, I picked you up in Jamaica. You were called Jamaica now. I picked you up in Spain. You're the Spaniard. Like, why would you necessarily need more than that um, to uh, to denote, you know, when you wanted someone on your crew? Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of like, I like the sort of the talk like a pirate aspect of it. And, and the fact that they go for ye a lot rather than you like they're, they're really doubling down on the old timey speech um and you're right this day and age we would not stand for that but in the early 60s or mid 60s i guess this is you know like you could still sort of get away with that stereotype it was you know treasure island was what you were thinking of and i should say i'm not going to get too far into the history corner yet but this was clearly based on something called dr sin <laughs> S-Y-N. Mm. Have you heard of Dr. Sin? I've um, not heard of Dr. Sin. You may also have heard it. It actually got made into a Disney movie, surprisingly, called Dr. Sin, alias the Scarecrow, uh, mm. where Patrick McGugan, uh, McGugan uh, from The Prisoner um, mm. was uh, playing Dr. Sin in this, um, uh, which is interesting because he was one of the names brought up as a replacement for William Hartnell, which was you know, finally decided during the filming of the smugglers. So there's right. an interesting connection. Um, and we'll, we'll get to talking about that later, but, but yeah, so it's, it's a story. It was like a very popular, um, I guess, 1915 uh, yarn um, that had, there were a bunch of sequel novels. There was a 1937 movie. It's very violent stuff, but it is about this guy who is actually, uh, who is an ex pirate, very much like the church warden in the smugglers mm. who uh, actually is, is anti the revenue man. He's anti the customs people and, and helps to, you know, helps the smugglers evade them. So it's like uh, that is a story where the smugglers are the heroes. So it's kind of interesting that it's reversed here and kind of the, the revenue guy, the King's man is, is, is uh, one of the heroes here, but that's what, that's what they were going for. And that, you know, it would have been very fresh in their minds, it was actually in theaters when Doctor Who started in November 1963. Hmm. There was a double okay. bill in the UK of The Sword and the Stone, the Disney uh, version of the right, uh, sure. uh, Once and Future King, and Doctor Sin alias The Scarecrow. Uh, so hmm. it was very contemporary to be thinking of this. This is where Brian Hales got the idea. Now, Brian Hales. Let's take a brief diversion. Let's talk about <laughs> Brian, Brian Hales. Hales. Yeah, yeah. We so we've we've seen uh, a few of his stories before. He did come up with the idea for the Celestial Toymaker, right? Um, and uh, and this was his second idea and the first one that he actually saw through to completion by himself. But do you know, Pete, the name of the story that he initially pitched for this this slot? Uh, I don't. Tell me what that is. It would have been easily the most controversial story name in Doctor Who history because it was simply going to be called The Nazis. That's right. <laughs> okay. The Nazis. Not not Doctor Who and an exciting adventure with the Nazis. Not let's kill the Nazis, <laughs> but the Nazis. And it would have seen the, the Doctor Ben and Polly going to uh, 1930s Germany having to become members of the Nazi party to go undercover. Oh, wow. 
So okay. that is, spoiler alert, my first reason why the randomizer brought us here, because you remember there was some Nazi talk and some Berlin in 1937 talk in Kill the Moon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. There is a little uh, bit. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's always a good go-to. And when you're talking about affecting history. And that's yeah. interesting because like um, a couple years later, I believe, Star Trek did exactly that. Now, they didn't go back in time, but basically they visited Nazi planet. And there's mm. a lot of scenes with Kirk, Spock, and McCoy essentially um, dressing Nazi up Nazis. as Nazis and, you know, mm. with swastikas on their arms and, and all that stuff. Yeah, so, which definitely hasn't aged well. Yeah. So hasn't that, aged that well, but I mean, be... again, I th- you know, it, it, I, I think <laughs> I would have liked something much more notable than this, mm. which, you know, mm. with the pirate stuff and the village and that it's not even close to London like we said it before it's very low stakes it it's kind of like a bunch of stuff that happens there's a byzantine plot that t- involves pirates and people in the local village who are also kind of smugglers i couldn't really tell who's the smugglers now is it is it like the the squire and folks or is it That's the pirates there. is it both um, Squire is and, clearly involved at a distance, right? He he's just yeah. sort of in it for himself. Uh, but then he, when he sees how how scurvy ye actual pirates are, you know, he kind of kind of changes his mind. And and the Squire, like if this was a an RTD story, like you you very much focus much more on the Squire kind of getting redeemed by the end, right? He's fighting on the Doctor's side by the end and right. against the pirates. Um, but yeah, yeah you can almost see it. it like that guy in Silence of the Library who seems like he's mm. a jerk at first and ends up being kind of the nice benefactor by the end. Um, and he so is trying to frame Ben and Polly at, at the start. So yeah, that's a very interesting point to well, talk about. Here's the thing: I'm glad glad you mentioned Ben and Polly because I do think, in terms of stuff I liked uh, as their first adventure with the doctor and getting to show off who their personalities are and what they're good at. I think this works really well. Um, yeah. I've found whenever Michael craze and Annika Wills were, you know, can't really say on screen, <laughs> even though it was the <laughs> telesnap, but I looked forward to seeing what they were going to do. And I wanted more there. Like if anything, I wanted them to do more interesting things than just run between the village and the church and get captured a lot, which is essentially most of what they do. Their, their best moment by far is I believe it's in episode two when they're prisoners Mm -hmm. and they reason that this is a superstitious time and that they can essentially pretend to be witches and fool the guy into thinking that you need to let them go. And that's good. I, yes. I like that idea of like we have we have future knowledge or in this case sort of future perspective that we can put on this situation and problem solve. Uh, I wanted more of that. And yeah. 
Well, let's talk about yeah. Ben and Polly because this this is one yeah. of the reasons which I think that the smugglers, you know, the, the the still waters of the smugglers do do run a little deeper than than we than we suspect at, at first blush. So, this is the first something. It is the first time that the Doctor has been outnumbered by newcomers to the TARDIS. Hmm. Because That's obviously true. the first episode in Unearthly Child, Ian and Barbara are new, but the Doctor has Susan with him. So they're not number, no, no, you know, then Vicky joins and like, you know, at every, at every point, like the Doctor's still at least, you know, equaled in number <laughs> between, you know, people who've traveled in the TARDIS before. And here they are, you know, straying on board the TARDIS. Uh, not, right. not the first to do that. I believe Dodo did that herself. Um, but uh, but he has to explain it to both of them, and they don't believe. And it is interesting that that Polly is the one who does believe. Like she's the I didn't watch X Files, but one one of them was which which was the one that believed was it Mulder or Scully who believed? <laughs> right, and Mulder was the believer. Scully was yes. the skeptic. Yeah. So, so it's, here the gender are roles are reversed. Yeah, their gender roles are reversed, but it is interesting, and we sort of get we we actually do get a little bit talk of gender because Polly is constantly mistaken for a boy, um, even though yeah, I mean that's when you see the outfit she's wearing, like oh, just because she's wearing trousers, yeah. uh, is that is that what's going on? Um, but but it's interesting the way that they react, like they're they are much more proactive companions, um, as as yeah. you mentioned the the use of the voodoo doll. Uh, it's a very interesting kind of thing that the doctor himself might have done in another story. Uh, but you right. do get the sense that the show is sort of trying to hedge its bets in case William Hartnell is still there. Like they're, they're going to have to focus a lot more on the companions since he's just like not great. Fluffing his lines gets very tired very quickly. Um, and this could be cover- yeah. covering for that. Um, but yeah, they're like, definitely yeah, very then- capable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ben, I, li- ben I really liked, uh, you know, and the doctor proves him wrong. I like that bit. Yeah, Ben. Ben really won me over pretty quickly in that he's got uh, he's got a personality. Like he's he's a mm-hmm. fun dude. He wants to get back to his ship, but he he has a lot of good lines. Uh, even though they're sort of laced with sixties values and sexism here and there, mm-hmm. um, he's fun. I, I I I have to say I I laughed at the line where he asked tells Polly to put a kettle on when she gets to the TARDIS, even though it's a little, Polly's always constantly being asked. It seems like every time we see her to either make coffee or tea or something. Uh, but in this case, I, I thought it was an amusing line because it's not just him being dismissive of her. Honestly, it's a reassuring line in my view. And mm. that he's like, once you get to the TARDIS, you know, put a kettle on, not just because we'll, we're, we're all going to need a cup of tea after this, but yeah. because the TARDIS is there and it's a place you can do that and it's a refuge. And rem- remember, Polly, we're almost home. It's like that is that's a good little moment for him because he makes light because they're in this sort of dire situation. And because yeah. of the way Ben is, he actually gives her some comfort, even though, again, laced a little bit with this sort of. Uh, I, I guess inadvertent sexism of the time. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But I, mean, I think in, it's, in it's an okay culture, line. The, the whole, the whole put the kettle on thing. Like that's, that's not very gender specific in British culture. That's, yeah, that's, that's fair. Who gets back to the house. Good, I feel better about specific. it now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're okay. It's just, I think I'm seared. I, I'm seared a little bit by the 10th planet. When Polly is really almost dismissed in terms of like being asked to make coffee, uh, which yeah. sort of, 
it was a searing kind of moment for me. And I, I, maybe I'm a little protective of Polly now, especially because oh, Annika boy. Wills is, is, uh, been very good about doing things like the narration I mentioned and being a good sort of yeah, legacy member she, of, of, of the, the Doctor Who community. She did mention this, I believe, Annika Wills did, as, as her favorite story. Um, and it is actually pretty good for Polly when you look at it. Like, Polly is smarter than Ben in this story. Mm. She gets it more quickly. She understands that they're in a time machine. Um, she's not... Well, smarter... I mean, I don't know if that's smarter. That's just like she yeah. has a more willing-to-go-with-it personality, I guess. She's more uh, willing but, to go with it, whereas Ben is kind of just revealed as almost an automaton, right? He just wants to get back to barracks. You know, he's he's right. You almost see that he's kind of terrified of of being uh, of having his own autonomy back, right, and not being told what to do. And this, he does have a great line that is at his expense. Where he's like, oh, we're going to go to the far future next. Where the doctor's like, oh, well, most likely we'll go to the far future. We're going to go to the far future. There won't be even be a navy, um, which which I love. He's like, that's his main concern. It's like he really wants the navy to still be there. He wants to go back to barracks. He's like, I'm just a sailor. Like you know, don't don't involve. He wants me his in predictable life. Exactly. Don't give me any agency, which is very interesting. Um, mm. And is an extreme skeptic at the same time. Like he's sure that they're still there in the 20th century, even though it's clearly not London. And he thinks they've just moved in space and not time. And he's like, oh, look, there's a church. You know, obviously we're in the 20th century. And the dog dads be like, no, you idiot. <laughs> there, are, there are churches everywhere and have been for thousands of years. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, good, good story for Polly. But speaking of the companions, there's one line right at the start that I think we, it, it pays us to focus in on. Do you remember okay. where the doctor, like they, they leave the TARDIS, they go into the cave that the TARDIS has landed in. And the doctor has this line about, I thought I was going to be alone again. Mm, yeah. I'm sure I was going yeah. to be alone again. And, and this can be read two ways. And people have over the years read this two ways. Like, does he want to be alone? Is the first doctor that much of a curmudgeon that he was like looking forward to traveling by himself? Mm. Um, or, or is, is he wearing a bit thin? Yeah. Is it like, is he I, think- I, I was worried I was going to be alone. Um, you know, it could- well, I was thinking like he's, he's, his body's wearing a bit thin and I feel like it's, it's a bit, he's thinking I'm going to go off, be alone and mm. either die or regenerate. Like, you know, as in, if you look at it in the context of twice upon a time, Mm. like maybe he was considering like maybe I'm done, you know, and maybe he's, he's getting into the zone where he just, he doesn't want to even go on. Um, and you know, he's getting like, it's, it's interesting to, to think about that context of where the doctor's at and reflect on the show itself and where William Hartnell was at, because, you know, as dramatized in, um, adventure in space at time, he was getting, Obviously, his health was failing, but, you know, the, there was suddenly this revolving door of companions because the show was getting yeah. kind of troubled and it's season three in particular. And he wasn't he was not really in a good place anymore. And there's there's sort of a famous um, behind the scenes story here from the director, uh, mm. uh, Julia Smith. Uh, is it Smith? I forgot. Um uh, and yes, I believe you're right. Uh, sorry, yeah, Smith. Yeah, Julia Smith, Julia we mentioned Smith. earlier. And she talks about 
this moment where come over here and do this thing on the console and he he, he mm-hmm. laid into her apparently and then I, i'm not sure if this is the scene maybe that inspired that bit in adventure in space and time where he's like no this part of the console does this and this other part of the console does that and you know mm. just freaked out about it and i'm, I'm glad in um, that I'm yeah in that I'm moment you can you sort of tell he's like trying to hang on to something time. I, I, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up because that is actually the only thing, the only visual thing that, that I consumed as part of preparation for this podcast. Because I kind of wanted to see mm. if there was any hint that, you know, uh, how they do play the scene where William Hartnell is told uh, by the Brian Cox character who plays uh, Sidney Newman. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have Sidney Newman telling him that, you know, he's not going to continue in the show. Uh, in fact, it was Innes Lloyd, the producer, and they it was sort of mutual agreement, right? Right. Uh, so, you know, I wanted to see how far they got it wrong. They got it pretty wrong. But first of all, Adventure in Space and Time will never not leave me in floods of tears at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm yeah. getting choked up just thinking of it now. Oh, my God. And the scene with Matt Smith it just destroys me every time. You know, that, that one scene where he's like, oh, I guess... I guess I'm seeing the future here. Like, I guess I see the show is in safe hands. It's continuing. I love well, that's, oh, that's also yeah. the scene. I think that that is, it's kind of a razor. It's like either you love it or you hate it. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I don't want to get too far I, on a tangent, but the Matt Smith thing, yeah. like I loved it. My wife did not. She was like, that was mm. so weird and out of nowhere. Um, you know, like yeah. I could definitely see it either way. I, I like anyway. it because it comes directly after the Patrick Troughton introduction. And it's sort of like, right. I'm, I'm seeing that this could continue down the line. Love it. You know, definitely, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it earns that moment of sort of uh, playing around with space and time, as it were. But they also have that, the, the bit of dialogue that I'm, I'm not sure where it's from. It might be Dark's Master Plan. It's, it's where the Doctor thinks that Stephen has left him. Okay. You remember that part? Um, and And he has this line of like, oh, nobody understands me. Everyone left me. You know, even even Susan, even Vicky, um, and it's a natural line of dialogue from from the show. Uh, and I believe mm. it's a missing episode, which is why like we don't we don't have that video. But it, it reminded me, like you know, it, it is weird. The whole first Doctor Companion thing is weird. Like he pushes Susan yeah. away. Uh, he doesn't give Susan the option of traveling on. He makes sure she stays on Earth with David. Uh, right. At the end of Dalek Invasion of Earth, and obviously the fabulous speech about prove to me I'm, I'm not wrong in my beliefs. Uh, one day I shall come back, etc., etc. But the first doctor is always ambivalent about whether he even wants to travel with anyone. He's always mm. getting mad at people. Um, he does seem to need them. He, you know, they do build into the script that he can't even remember Chesterton's name. Um, you know, <laughs> constantly calling him Chatterton as he does in this, the speech, uh, post Stephen. Um, you know, but we also see it at the end of the war games, like where he Dodo doesn't even say goodbye, uh, which was the know, war machines, the war machines. war machines. Yes, Dodo yep. doesn't say goodbye. Like she just vanishes in the uh, end of season uh, episode two, I believe, and then it's left to Ben and Polly at the very end to say, "Oh, so Dodo says goodbye," and the Doctor has a bit of a moment of outrage of like, "Oh, she couldn't even come say goodbye in person." So, like, there's really a sense of something deeper going on here of how the Doctor relates to the humans that he takes with him. Uh, there's, well, I will say it's a little weird. He he's hurt. It's he's a little not, weird yeah. that the humans are so fleeting too. And I think that's what you, when you were talking about Ben there, 
it is kind of hilarious how he doesn't get it that just how wondrous this is and so how crazy lucky he is maybe unlucky if you think about the mortal danger in but it is like no one else has this opportunity and i will say that the new series is much better about that that the companions just generally appreciate like wow like uh, like uh, you know <laughs> you had to get back to your ship like what right. what do you care like i mean you can now you can go like literally anywhere in the universe um yeah and the, the so doctor, he's definitely got better pr as as time has gone on like as soon as he came <laughs> up with the phrase all of time and space where do you want to go next like if only the hartnell doctor had <laughs> had said it in that yeah. sort of snappy way uh you know but that's kind of an invitation and clearly the first doctor was not inviting them and he's kind of pissed that they're there but also by the way did you notice he very much explicitly says he can't pilot the tardis he can't control where it goes next yeah. like th- this yeah is, he's this basically a randomizer most, basically a randomizer and it this may be the most explicit that the show ever gets about that he says it a couple of times mm. at the beginning and the end like I, I've, yeah. I cannot return you to London, nineteen sixty-six. I honestly have no clue, uh, and that's sort of hinted at throughout, you know, the earlier Hartnell era where he's trying to get Ian and Barbara back, but never this explicit. I think, am I right? Yeah, no. He's, he's, he's. It seems like he's kind of given up in a sense of like trying mm. to figure out the TARDIS, which again I think is all in keeping with this little bit of arc here at the end of season three and beginning of season four here. In that he, you know, and the actor and the show were all a little unsure, maybe a little tired of this and not not really um, not really coming down on whether do, do we really even want this to keep going. Right. And mm-hmm. Ben and Polly just happen to be there and along for the ride. And I'm glad they are because they're young, they're vibrant, they're, you know, down for doing well, maybe not Ben so much, but they're there. <laughs> To kind of like give him a little bit more of that, you know, sense of like, you know, the, this this thing could keep going if you wanted it to keep going. Yeah. And they, they do have yeah, a sense of like, fearlessness. Like when, when they walk into the inn and they're kind of they're terribly amused by the way everyone looks in the, in mm. the inn. Like, I guess, as you would. And this is sort of one of the moments where I was like, oh, I, I really do feel like I've been transported back in time here. Like they, they remark on how sort of weird and ugly everyone looks in the inn basically which they would yeah if you went back to 17th century england you'd like that's one of the first things you'd notice be like wow everyone's got smallpox <laughs> scars everyone is just what's like, with gross. all the poop in the street <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you don't really get that in doctor who a lot so i kind of appreciated that notion yeah. um but they're fearless about it like they're laughing at it they enjoy it and even when they get well, arrested like yeah polly is a bit upset about the rats in the cell but they're, they're basically right. okay well, and it's good they have each other to play off of and sort of appreciate what both of them are going through. And the doctor can see that at a distance. So they don't need to bounce off the doctor, which a lot of sort of single companions need to do, particularly in the new series. Again, I think it's very appropriate for this and sort of the doctor can observe them and see how they, you know, their enthusiasm, uh, how they interact with each other. Uh, certainly as young people, there's even, you know, I mean, I think they went, I guess about as far as you would want to in the sixties in terms of (laughs) suggesting an attraction. I mean, there is a point where Polly calls Mm. Ben handsome Um, and they're, you know, I guess a little flirty with each other. There was, there was a little bit, I think in the war machines, how they meet. 
I should point out that she is doing a um a Cornish accent there and sort of like she's it's 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 that's kind of a Cornish trope, right? Oh me lovely, ooh, ooh me handsome, you know. She's like right. being a busty barmaid kind of character. Oh but yeah, yeah they, well exactly they did she's meet she's in a bar, right? having fun with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean she's obviously having fun with it. Um and again, like the, the, I think it speaks a little bit back to how they met in the war machines where Ben's sort of trying to chat her up a little bit. And but I mean, you know, couple young people i mean i think we all imagined that ben and polly went off and <laughs> had probably like a, a great relationship after they yes, uh ditched the doctor and, and the faceless ones so yeah i mean like that energy is really on it to me if anything saves this episode it's them because mm. uh, i kind of wanted to see uh, not just their energy but also like that energy directed towards solving the issue at hand and there is so i want to i want to cut to what i think is probably one of the more definitive moments here and i think it's part arguably a definitive moment in darker who uh where the doctor in episode four talks about his moral obligation and what's happened Mm -hmm. is like they're there at the crypt they have the secret passage to the tardis they're ready to go. Ben wants to go. I mean, he's all about like, he's basically second only to Perry as the companion who wants to go back to the TARDIS the most. Um, so, but then the doctor's like, eh, can't do that. He's basically like, yeah. no, there's, there's bad things going on here. He even sort of says, I might be responsible for it. I don't think he is, but it, I think it is more that he's there to, and able to do something about a bad thing that will probably happen. And exactly. It doesn't matter if the TARDIS is right there with the door wide open. You can't just leave. Right. And so this sort of harkens back to something we've talked about a few times of like, why don't they just go? Uh, You know, there's danger. It's like, well, let's because they run into danger. That's what the doctor does. And I think he's, he's kind of, you know, reminded of that a little bit here, uh, particularly with, you know, the two companions there with, this energy and sort of reminded like kind of like maybe even stating for himself what mm-hmm. this is about, you know, restating what he, what he stands for. I say that. Yeah. This, this suggests yeah. that there may be an overall arc for the first doctor, right? That he does start to learn that he has a moral obligation. I mean, you mm. know, we, we got to remember that this is the youngest doctor that we ever encounter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at least, and has and series. began as kind of an antihero in the first yeah. episode, right? Back in Unearthly Child, yeah. he's he's kind of a jerk and kind of wants to go and do, doesn't and, really care about anyone, you know. And even uh, in and, the Romans, which we've been to, like that that question of whether he mm-hmm. was actually a pyromaniac, and he he doesn't really care that Rome burned down and he may have caused it, uh, which is very stark <laughs> contrast to this like you know we, we said the doctor likes it when things go boom well no it, it, he's worried that the pirates are going to uh sack the whole village that that was their intent yeah um and he does feel morally obliged because he knows that he does you know it's a, it's a little butterfly effect thing that appears to be kicking in here in, in his awareness right he, he may have somehow inadvertently um assisted the pirates in their in their evil goal here yeah um, just by being there really because if you if you think about it when they first arrive and they talk to the church warden who's an ex-pirate mm. uh because he helps him with his dislocated yes. finger that's how he sort of wins him over he's then entrusted 
with this knowledge, the secret code to find the treasure. And now that that sets off a bunch of things. Now, like uh, for some reason, like Cherub kind of makes a mistake in killing him. I think, and like, well, wait a minute. Now, like yep. <laughs> this is the one guy that you thought had the code. The and then, but anyway, because the doctor you, you still has it, they're point. deeply involved. Yeah, Cherub would not have stabbed uh, uh, Longfoot if if the doctor hadn't been talking to him. So yeah, he is responsible in a way, even though he was. Uh, passive in that exchange. By the way, is it that easy to reset a dislocated finger? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe some I'll, I'll give it to him. Writing on this, <laughs> but it's, yeah, you know, I it's mean, one of those moments where the doctor proves that he actually is a sawbones, right? <laughs> he does have a little bit of medical knowledge too. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a great scene. I think it works really well. I- again, in in this story, and I think you're right. Like as a, as an sort of closing arc for the first doctor it's more satisfying than really what happens in the 10th planet because you know famously hartnell got sick he wasn't in for uh, the like a whole episode like the third episode of the 10th planet he's not there Mm -hmm. he's very passive in the 10th planet like we did that one in the podcast a couple years ago now Mm. and i remember i think we both remarked at the time it's it's unfortunate this is his swan song uh but i'm really glad he has this scene in the smugglers to yeah. sort of take command of of the situation and kind of restate what the being the doctor is all about, and it's 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 good. It's a good final little moment for him. And Hartnell is is fluffing a lot of his lines here. Uh, he does not mm. sort of famously does not fluff the line that actually you know the Longfoot actor does fluff the line of like. The, the stuff that they're going to have to figure out later with the the names on the graves, right? <laughs> he messes up the names. Uh, the doctor actually says it correctly, oh. so he's yeah. <laughs> he does get one in against his fellow actors there. Like, oh, you're the one <laughs> who fluffed the line. I'm the one who said it accurately. Uh, but I also kind of detected a certain lightness to Hartnell in here, and I wonder if that's kind of like he he seems to be laughing a lot. Um, there's a lot of chuckles, little chuckles to himself, which yes, one of his signature moves, but also like he, he knows at this point, he knows he's only going to film one more, uh, one more show, one more story. Uh, and but did out. he know, though? did he know at this point? Film- yeah. So during the smugglers is when he was told or, or okay. He, he had the conversation. Interesting. And Got it. so he's, he knows. And it's also the end of a shoot. Like they're shooting this at the end of season three to give them some, right. some padding for season four. Um, so yeah, he knows he's only going to shoot one more thing and he's, he's got a vacation coming up. Uh, interestingly, they actually went on vacation in Cornwall, he and his wife, uh, after, after oh, this. That's funny. <laughs> and, and that's when news broke that Patrick Troughton was going to be taking over. Yeah. That's, that's well, the shooting schedules were also just really brutal back in the day. Like oh, yeah. you would be like filming one story something week. like, yeah, and it, it was you were filming 10, 11 months out of the year or something like that. It was crazy. You'd be filming, or at least it was broadcast, like through most of the year. So you'd, you wouldn't really get much time off. Yeah, yeah. God. I mean, we, we think we've got a demanding schedule having to talk about one Doctor Who story a week uh, for an hour or so on a podcast. This, <laughs> you know, actually shooting it, remembering all your lines. No wonder he fluffs so many of them. Like having one week to learn your script, that's crazy. So I got to say, I was disappointed and I don't really get it um, for one of the other reasons this episode is so notable. It has literally no music. There is no Mm -hmm. soundtrack at all at any point in any episode, any of the four episodes. 
like literally the only music is the opening and closing credits and yeah i i is it was it budget what like what a what an odd odd choice um and it, it just really again made the whole thing it already has low stakes makes it feel even lower and it just does not well, you, clearly does not add anything, but it's, uh, it's a notable you thing. Do get, you do get a lot of nature noises. Like in the first episode, you, you get, you know, the, the wind and the storm and the sound of the sea and all of that mm. is in it. I almost got kind of Wuthering Heights like vibes from that. Um, like, you know, this is kind of just stormy English and dark brooding. Um, and and these days when there's incidental music everywhere and everything, it's almost refreshing to to mm-hmm. see a story where it isn't. And it's certainly refreshing coming from something like, you know, we talked about it in the mind of evil, you know, the Pertwee era where they just won't stop with the synthesizer. Yeah, but you know, uh, I prefer that. I would prefer over synthesized weirdness than just nothing, right? Because then you just mm-hmm. at least I'd have an opinion on it and it would mm-hmm. provoke something. Uh, here it's just kind of like oh yeah, and then I sort of, I think I was about halfway through episode two. I don't think I've heard any music, and then I kind of looked up the notes on the show, and it's like there's literally no no incidental music yep. at all, like very yep. very weird. Yeah, it is it is weird, and I wonder if that had uh, any effect on sort of the the audience score and the the viewing figures, which were notoriously low. Uh, this is one of one of the lowest rated um, you know audience figures for any classic who. Something like four million people watched it. They rated it below fifteen in the audience appreciation index. Like it's very, very bad score. Uh, sort of continuing a bad run for for Doctor Who in general, right? Um, but uh, yeah, so maybe maybe the people of nineteen sixty six wanted a little bit more music, uh, or maybe they wanted a nice rest after jukebox jury, which would have come on before this and be absolutely stuffed with music. Um, so yeah, who knows? Who knows? But speaking of 1966, it's interesting that we don't get any actual time uh, year. Time, you know, all we get is for some reason the Doctor like nails it that this is the 17th century, the 1600s, right? Um, and we've almost got like a unit dating controversy thing here <laughs> going on because. Uh, a lot of the smuggler situations that this was based on, like like the the smugglers that inspired the Doctor Sin stories, were actually uh, 18th century, 1700s. That was the golden era of smuggling. So why is the Doctor so sure? And uh, also, well, now here's the thing. We can sort of place this in space and time a little bit uh, in time because there is discussion of Captain Avery, the the most notorious pirate Henry Avery, also known as Henry Avery, who does I'll get this out of the way first. He is played by Hugh Bonneville in the Curse of the Black Spot. Uh, that is Captain Avery. So this, yeah, so, <laughs> so this is um, you know kind kind of a prequel in a way, except it wasn't actually intended. The um, the writer of Curse of the Black Spot. Uh, said that uh, he just kind of took Henry Avery as, you know, a famous pirate, didn't actually know that he'd been mentioned in Doctor Who before, even though the spending, the, the whole MacGuffin of the smugglers is uh, Avery's treasure. Uh, so it is accidental that there's a black spot connection. Um, and 
you know, uh, so so Henry Avery, uh, should, should we just dive into to, uh, to uh, Chris's history corner for a second here? Let's go in the corner. All right. So first of all, I just want to say about the the date, 1699 is roughly where this uh, episode is likely to be set because uh, Captain Avery has been uh, said to be missing or, or, or dead for some years, uh, but it's also the 17th century. So pretty much 1699 is the only uh, time you can locate this. This is the last recorded uh, site of Avery, who was known as the King of the Pirates. They kind of did have that accurate. Um, is uh, is around 1696 after he did do this this big job, like one of the biggest acts of piracy in history. He uh, he stole uh, uh, a lot of treasure that was headed for the uh, uh, for Mecca, I believe, and and really earned earned the ire of the the the, the Mughals, um, and, uh, and then supposedly died penniless. Maybe troublemaker. Don't really know how how it ended? Absolutely, he. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, you know, they, they were right about like he makes Captain Morgan look uh, look like not even a pirate. Um, he, he uh, but it's interesting. They only talk about his treasure. They don't really talk about what happened to him, except that he kind of died painless, which is probably the case um, from what little we know in history. So, yeah, even though Avery does show up again in Curse of the Black Spot and is revealed to have been missing in time. Um, the you know hmm. he uh, he did he did disappear here he did leave a lot of treasure he did probably die penniless so that the curse of his treasure is is complete and and the show is actually uh, pretty pretty accurate I just wish that they'd had a line where they say that it's 1699 because it that makes such a nice contrast with Ben keeping on talking about 1966 wanting to return to 1966 no oh it's not yeah 1966 <laughs> it's 1699. <laughs> And I feel like a modern writer would have just thrown that in, but uh, but yeah, Brian Hales, you know, Not bad being, uh, super. It's like Gretzky <laughs> versus super, Lemieux, uh, man. Impressed. You'd see them right beside each other. <laughs> nice. Um, All right. One, well, one even though there's we not a lot of question in, as to oh, yeah. One other thing we should mention in the history of the What's show, the of course, twice upon a time has this whole issue. We've discussed this before with Brandy, the doctor having Brandy in the TARDIS. How does that square with the fact that he says several points during his tenure that he is teetotal? Um, and uh, we've been across this before. And in this story, he does refuse Brandy, but doesn't refuse mm-hmm. wine. So that's interesting. But he specifically refuses Brandy at the end. And then we were led to believe a story later, he has Brandy and the TARDIS. So what's going on here? Especially is the fact that uh, Terrence Dix changes it around in the novelization and the Doctor does drink Brandy in the novelization. So what's going on? Is this, does the Doctor drink or mm, doesn't he drink? I know. <laughs> the Doctor lies. Remember rule number one. It's a very interesting thing. It's actually, it was so obvious, my, my daughter noticed it. Like she's ten, and she's like, "Wait a yeah. minute! He does not. He's, he just refused to drink." And, and she also remembered uh, one of the something recently. I forget what was the one he was sort of drinking yeah, in or not drinking in. Probably. Uh, the gunfighters, yes, yeah. never touch the, the stuff. So definitely yeah, drinking brandy. Uh, no, or not drinking brandy, rather. Yeah, mm-hmm. refused it. Drank milk. I'm still instead. figuring out where he stands so on I think that. This is, this is more. <laughs> I think this is more grist for the idea that the first doctor is actually an alcoholic who keeps falling off the wagon. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> totally. It's well, still a, there's a still a question, question of the doctor's uh, 
status in terms of uh, his alcoholism, but there are some other questions that we need to answer. And those, of course, are the four questions to Doomsday. First question, why did the randomizer take us here? All I can figure is that it wants to strengthen our character. It's basically questioning, making us question our resolve <laughs> to get through every single episode of Doctor Who, because uh, this one, this one was tough for me. So that's that's my theory yeah. on this. I I uh, I thought of the same thing at first, but then you know, once I noticed that the Doctor is like all set on staying in a place uh, when when he's been involved, which is the exact opposite of Kill the Moon. Uh, I think the randomizer mm. wants to provide us with a contrast there. And, um, you know, I, I also think it may be getting us ahead of the game here um, because of the, the forthcoming animation. And, uh, you know, we wanted us to, to be Doctor Who hipsters. Um, so, you know, we could talk about having watched it uh, before we see the animated version. Uh, I'm also a little bit worried about potential radicalization of the randomizer, that it is... Um, you know, there's the Nazi connection. <laughs> this, you know, in an alternate universe, pull to open, we are actually talking about the Brian Hales episode, the Nazis, uh, right now. Um, mm, uh, right, and so maybe it may be uh, hurting us into that. And of course, there's the, you know, Hitler mentioned kill the moon. Um, you know, if we go to ne- let's kill Hitler next, I, I will be very worried about the randomizer. <laughs> All right, me too. Okay, so second question. What if the evil plot had succeeded? So what's the evil plot? Is it, I guess it's Pikes, right? I mean, there's a few evil plots, to be honest with you. But Pikes, I guess you have to assume they're not drinking as much later and are a little better at fighting off the revenue men and uh, get away with it. And does that mean they become, you know, the renowned pirates that, Avery, uh, maybe even eclipsing Avery in history uh, because they get the treasure and they're all, you know, it's all pirates day for all. I mean, the the, the evil plot uh, also involved kind of burning down the village, uh, (laughs) which, you know, maybe that has some knock-on effects in time. But yeah, it is very hard to say that anything is going to happen here, except maybe the Doctor regenerates into Patrick Trout in a story early or Ben and Polly get killed in the <laughs> Ben and Polly don't don't this, make out that well then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and the doctor is then sort mm, of forever gets, gets a little uh, grim afraid to bring on new companions. Yeah. Maybe he ah, just doesn't bring Jamie yeah. on board in the Highlanders. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, good thing he's a little wilier than Pike, and good thing those guys like to drink. Ah, all right. Moving on quickly through the questions. The The third question, where is the Clara Splinter? Well, maybe maybe she is the any other just off screen. Maybe, because there's no other female characters, notably other than Polly. So, so she would have to be off screen. And so my guess is that Tom is like really superstitious. So I feel like the Clara splinter got here a little earlier, got basically showed Tom her cell phone or something to get him to like believe in witchcraft. And 
right. uh, turned him into this gullible guy who, you know, all you have to do is string some straw together and moan and he's fooled into thinking you're a witch. So, mm. you know, that's my best guess. Or, or she's the, the busty barmaid making sure that everyone is good and drunk. Uh, all the pirates are good and drunk in this. Um, maybe she's going around sort of talking yeah. up the idea of being a gentleman. We haven't really talked about that, that this is a very class conscious story. Mm, true. Uh, kind of hinted at it that, you know, the, uh, that is kind of Captain Pike's downfall is that the doctor does talk him into being a, a gentleman. And yeah, maybe she's also kind of getting, mm. getting the, uh, the superstition level up on the ship, uh, with regards to the, the cartomancy. It's not actually tarot cards the doctor's using. He's, performing cartomancy with regular playing cards and uh so maybe she's in an right. adventure with the pirates making sure that they're afraid of that oh yeah yeah that makes sense yeah i kind of wasn't sure what was going on there because it was like clearly playing cards but it was treating them like tarot cards i don't know <laughs> enough to enough to fool jamaica so got the job done mm-hmm. all right guys it is time for the final question the only question the question that matters most to the smugglers, which is what do we think of this episode? The Pull to Open rating system, of course, has five ratings. Uh, there is a Dalek, which is what we have for a good episode of Doctor Who. An Ogron, which is what we have for a perhaps not so good episode of Doctor Who. And a Professor Hader, which is a not so great episode, but at least we learned something. And the Viscount Banger, which we reserve for the best of the best. And finally, the fixed point in time, which means it's an episode that we simply cannot rate. It is beyond rating. It means too much to us in some form that we refuse to rate it. It just defies rating. Rarely used at fixed point in time. Uh, yeah. um, you go, you go, go ahead. You go first. I'm, I'm tempted to almost, almost tempted to give it a fixed point in time. Um, but I think I'm going to opt for a uh, professor hater or maybe a, a captain hater uh, for this one, because I think it is... <laughs> It was a learning point for Doctor Who. I think it was sort of, you know, the historicals end here. You know, the, we still got the Highlanders, but I feel like this was, you know, the Highlanders was kind of highly regarded, right? You know, just introduced Jamie. So it's sort of a nice high point for the historicals to end on. I feel like they already learned at this point uh, they're not going to do historicals anymore. And that the Smugglers was, right. you know, the, the sort of example of why you don't. Uh, why you, you know, even as much as I love the atmospheric nature of you, really get pulled into the 17th century here for a lot of reasons. Uh, even if it sort of seems a bit cliche to us, the way the pirates are talking and the way the Cornish people are talking, me hearties, um, you know, it's still yeah. You, you kind of learn why why historicals don't necessarily work in a Doctor Who context. So I'm not I'm not going to give it a lazy ogre, and I don't I think it was Doctor Who trying something trying its first piratical adventure uh, and learning why why that doesn't work. Uh, I'll say no wrong, Ogron. <laughs> and that's because... <laughs> I mean, really, like, I would much rather watch Orphan 55 than this again. I'm sorry. It has moments, yes. I do like Ben and Polly. Uh, there's a few things you can read into the arc of... of uh, William Hartnell and the first Doctor. Although those, if we're being honest, I think those are mostly back reads. Uh, and retconning mm. a little bit, but uh, I, I'm sorry, I just can't. It's an it's an ogron. Maybe it's vacation in Cornwall. This ogron, ogron, <laughs> but it's definitely uh, not a, an episode. I hadn't seen it before, and I'm probably never going to see it again. 
So, uh, except you may Goodbye. when the animated version comes out. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> that that must be one I really hold out on. Hold out on, uh, guys. This is it. That was the smugglers, and it's time for us to go back into our time space machine, mm-hmm. activate the randomizer, and figure out where we are going next in the canon of the show we like to call Doctor Who. Uh, and yeah, so the randomizer, the randomizer of course, has two parts: the uh, codex which Pete is looking at, and uh, the executor, which is random.org, which I am standing at the controls uh, of random.org and saying that, throwing up my hands and saying, "Sorry, Ben and Polly, I don't know where this is going because this is true randomness. This is atmospheric noise-based randomness, uh, not algorithmic randomness, which computers are very bad at." And Pete is going to give me the number of stories that we have yet to visit. I will plug that into random.org and we will find out after we give the randomizers some challenges, where are we going next? Pete, what is the number? The number is 224. Wow. 224 remaining Doctor Who adventures. I know I say wow every week, but <laughs> I'm like, wow, we're getting closer. <laughs> Not really, but we are inching. Just wait till they start making it again. <laughs> just well, they're making it. Wait, wait, just wait till it starts coming back, good, ticking up again every week. Okay, I'm challenging you, randomizer. Let's just get all the pirate junk out of the way. Okay, like let's go ahead. Give us Curse of the Black Spot. Give us the Space Pirates, the Pirate Planet. Not that that's junk, but like let's let's just get it out of our systems. Give us more pirates. I just want it done. Right. Okay, I, I have two challenges. Uh, one, a negative one. First of all, please please don't give us anything Nazi-related next time, Randomizer. I'm, I'm a bit worried <laughs> that you like the AI chatbots, you know, that start, you know, talking about swastikas. This, this has happened before. Uh, it's well known in AI circles. Uh, you train AI chatbots on the internet, they start going a bit Nazi. Please don't do that. Uh, don't take us to Let's Kill Hitler. Um, oh, I am going to be a bit worried. But do take us, please, to a Viscount Banger. Because I feel like we've suffered mm. through so many Professor Haters and Ogrons lately. It's, it's time for our reward. Please, please, Mr. Randomizer, may we have a Stone Cold Doctor Who classic that we are just going to love talking about. Well, there's only one episode, I would say, that probably intersects both of our requests, and I think we both know what it is. So, guys, let's spin this up and get some Douglas Adams goodness in the middle of the key to time, perhaps. Uh, Are you ready, sir, with the random element? I am ready. Give me the countdown. I'll hit the generate button. I'll give you the number, and we'll find out where we're going next. Four, three, two... One. At all, Z. 70. It's, we're still in old who. 70. We are, and it is pretty close. It nearly hit it, but it's actually the invasion of time. Ooh. Okay. All time right. Lords. It's Gallifrey. We're back. Yeah. We go from a season beginner to a season ender. Interesting. So that could be the connection right there. <laughs> Excited. Well, this I is going to be good. Good Gallifrey more, stuff. I'd asked for more Tom Baker uh, a few um, weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It's, it is uh, overloading us with, with Tom Baker goodness. So 
Yes. Looking it's making good on it. Making good on it. Guys, this has been great. This was The Smugglers. This was also pulled to open. It's a podcast. And if you would like to get more of this podcast, go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, whatever podcast app you are on. Or if you're perhaps on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe there. Go ahead and turn on notifications for when we have new content. Do all the things. Follow us on social, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Pull to Open 63. Also on TikTok at Pull to Open, all one word. We're going to be back again for the invasion of time next time. And we will see you all then. See you on Gallifrey, guys. <laughs>